This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music at our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Okay, El Ceviche is going to try and pry the door open. So, as you pry open the door, um, what you see inside is an immense control room. Um, walls giant with giant monitors, rows and rows of like all sorts of controls of some sort, keyboards, things like that. Several humming machines covered with what looks like modern Tesla coils and Van de Graaff generators um, are, you know, packed into the back of the room. Smell of ozone fills the air along with a chemical stench that's coming from like a bubbling vat attached to some sort of cannon that's like on the far end of the room and there's like a dozen minions like all clad in their form-fitting black and purple leather and spandex uniforms they're all working on different parts in the in the room and standing on a raised platform at the far end surveying the entire room like overlooking all the operations is count merlot well little stick is going to follow el ceviche through the door it's about time. I was hoping we'd finally get to the man in charge. We've been chasing him long enough. Give it up, Merlot. You gotta stop before more people die. Merlot spins and looks at the two of you, and like just kind of a look of disgust as like seeing you now here in his lair. Um, his leather cape like flares open to reveal like all the different gadgets that he's got like hooked to him. Um and with his uh, black gloved hand, he raises a steel cane and points it to the monitor which shows a small college town. Die? Of course people will die. They die every day. That's what I'm going to fix. No more wars. Healthcare for everyone. No more poverty. My brain neutralizer will make everyone obey. Schoolville is just the first step. The first step. All your experiments have killed more than half the subjects. And the rest have no free will. Merlot leans on the cane, staring at the two of you with pleading eyes. Of course, some sacrifices have to be made for the greater good, the needs of the many, all of that. Don't you see? They can't have free will. That's what causes them to be selfish and desperate. Free will causes people to hoard wealth and resources, causes them to act selfishly. Free will is what got my precious Martha killed. She was the only one who ever loved me. And the only one I could truly love. And this, this society took her from me. And that can never happen to anyone else ever again. Did he just say Martha? Never mind. You know Giggle Stick and I can't let you go through with this. Merlot stands straight, raises his cane overhead. So be it. Minions attack. With a, with just, they just like, with a complete, um, utter dedication right as soon as he says attack they like turn and just run towards you picking up anything that they can as they're like rushing towards you to hit you with more minions here we go again and with that welcome to the 440th episode of the mr mark podcast tonight we return to our breakdown of adversaries by examining using fanatical enemies in your rpgs along the way we'll take your suggestions comments and examples live from the chat room for life on twitch before heading into the after show but first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Welcome again. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's do our temperature check, see how everybody's doing. Phil, how you feeling? 
Um, well, uh, you know what? I'm okay. Um, I am um, emotionally, I'm pretty good, uh, other than just cranky about being at work. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just going to be ongoing. Um, I just, you know, not happy <laughs> being at work. I am actually a little sore. Like I, the setup at work is worse than my setup at home, and I'm starting to feel it. And I don't have an easy way to fix that. So, um, like, it's okay. Like, by the time I come home and kind of, like, lay down, stretch out or whatever, it's fine. But, like, at work, I'm, like, mm. I'm just annoyed at work. Like, I'm annoyed at every part of it right now for being there. And it's fine. But otherwise, I'm doing great. Feeling healthy, staying healthy, masking up, all that stuff. Uh, how about you, Bob? Um, physically, I'm a hot mess. <laughs> My back is just, like stop please don't do anymore just don't <laughs> um sorry back that's not gonna happen for a while <laughs> i'll try and take it easy on you um but yeah there's still plenty to be done so um mentally i'm pretty good um you know super excited because everything is rolling so um you know i'm, I'm, I'm excited uh, but tired and uh otherwise pretty mellow jerry what about you i'm doing pretty good um Mentally, I'm I'm okay. Uh, things are rolling along uh, at work and at home. Um, had a nice weekend. Uh, today, I'm just having a little bit of a weather thing. We here in Buffalo, we've got a little bit of an up and down with the rain and the humidity and everything. So I'm a little stuffed up. So if you hear me sneezing or if I suddenly go mute, blow my nose, you know what's up. Um, I'm very nasally tonight, but that'll clear up. Temporary thing, and uh, it's still better than it used to be years ago when it went, when I was like this every single day. Um, my life changed my meds, and I'm a much better person for it. I'm yeah. feeling pretty good. It's just a little bit stuffed up. So let's get on with this thing. Yeah, the weather in Buffalo has been has been just, you know, between the... the mediocre. And, yeah, mediocre <laughs> is a good word for it. But it's the humidity that aggravates me the most because we'll have, like, all of this. It'll be kind of moist and uh And then we'll have this, this moment of respite where it's like, oh, now it's dipping down. The humidity is, like, only 45%. And it lasts for like a couple hours, and it's like I'm back. And it's like, oh. dude, I won't even. I'm. I won't even open my windows. Like <laughs> I haven't opened my windows in like two weeks. I'm just like, you know what? I got this thing sealed up and yep. like at one constant temperature, yep. like via AC, like AC. And I'm just like, like I, I'm not even. I'm gonna like it'll be a couple more weeks before I I crack the seal on this thing and like let fresh air back in yeah. until the worst <laughs> of summer's over. Forget it. All right. Ugh, I hate the, I hate yeah. this time of Buffalo yeah. summer. Fall is like See now we had the door open, we had the windows open yesterday at work, but today everybody was sealed up tight. And I went out to do a couple of walks and it was like it slapped in the face with a wet washcloth. Yeah, could be worse. They don't have uh my windows can't open in my office for, you know, my safety. Yeah, for your safety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for your safety. Uh, All right. Let's do the one thing thing because that's the thing we like to do when we start this thing. So, how many yeah. times can I say thing in a span of like 30s? So, by this time tomorrow, I will officially be a condo owner. Yay! Yay! Yay. 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, we close. Dun, dun, dun. Now, do you have to go to this one? This one I have to go to, yes. Uh, okay. But I have been assured that it's like 20 minutes, bing, bang, boom, and I'm out. Sweet. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, like I said, the, the train keeps rolling. Um, lots of stuff left to do, but uh, the the excitement is building and... Um, you know, I officially already don't own my home anymore. That's all taken care of. And tomorrow I will be a condo owner and I'll be living between the two of them for like two and a half, three weeks. <laughs> Loads of fun. Oh, yeah. Loads of fun. 
Jerry, what about you? Uh, this weekend, we did a Lego night on Sunday. Uh, my friend Tim, who I've known since I was like five, uh, came over. And uh, we do this, uh, we're going to try to do it a little bit more often. We do this about once a month where we just get together. Uh, we had to put it off for COVID. We just hang out on a Sunday and we either watch a movie or just sit around and catch up and chat. And each of us builds Legos. So he's got the collector's edition A-Wing, which is, I don't know, like 2,500 pieces. And I'm starting to build um, the Parisian restaurant. So uh, we both sat there for about six hours and got about halfway done with our projects. We just had a good night. But it was a nice kind of de-stressing, chatting with friends, talking game theory and music and movies and everything else. And uh, cool. So it's just a, it's, it's a fun. I, I've discovered that like you put an adult in a room and give them some Legos and we're going to have a good night together. doesn't matter what we're doing. We're going to build stuff, take things apart, whatever. So it's a good time. There you um, go. Yes, I'm glad everybody caught on to the Martha thing. Thank you. Um, yeah. Bill? I also noticed that the entire plot from that opening was stolen from Stargirl. Was it? Yeah. I guess it was. That I guess was, it was. That was the was big trying, plot. Pretty pretty much. That is true. I was, I was trying to come up with a villain with a slightly sympathetic backstory who was yep. still being horrible. So, uh, but uh, yeah, that, that that was pretty much Stargirl. Yep. That, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> don't 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 worry. Don't worry. Giggle <laughs> stick and Elsa Vice will be back in, in, in later in future intro. Uh, <laughs> Bill, what'd you do this weekend? Um my one thing is uh Boyfriend Dungeon. Um Boyfriend Dungeon's out. Um it is um it is a very interesting mix of a Hades roguelike and a dating sim, uh where you um uh, run around in dungeons and by dungeons, at least the first one is the mall, uh, mm. fighting monsters, which are like summoned by your own insecurities. Uh, and then, uh, you meet, uh, sexy swords that turn back into people and go on dates with them once you're out of the dungeon. Um, it is delightful. It is not without its own controversies. So there are people, um, there is a bunch of things going on, um, in the background. Some of the content warnings, uh, weren't strong enough. Um, I think I, I'm from my position. I haven't played so much yet where I've gotten to any of the really creepy parts, but I guess there's like a little bit of stalkerish uh, behavior going on um, with one of the characters. Um, I haven't quite uh, reached that part, um, but I only got, I only got a couple of plays in after I downloaded it. Um, but I believe the developers are addressing it. So they're going to take some action to um, bump up that content warning and, and those kinds of things. Um, I will say overall, I like, I think the game is actually quite enjoyable. Um, I like the mix of it um, quite a bit. The uh, go fight monsters in, in a very Hades-like way. And then uh, turn around and go on dates. Um, and the dates, um, the dates help you improve with the weapons. And then taking them into the dungeon helps improve your relationships with them. Because it's like going on a date together. It's a whole thing. Um, anyway, it's delightful. Um, it's out on a whole bunch of platforms. I was super, I was super pleased, um, to find out it was available for Mac. Um, I, I think it was written in unity. So it, um, it, it's pretty, uh, transferable across platforms. So I think you can get it like on your switch. Um, you can get it on Mac. You can get it. I, I got it through steam. So you can get it through steam, that kind of thing. And it was pretty reasonably priced. I think I paid 17 bucks. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting some more plays of it. I haven't really had a lot of time. I had, um, I had other stuff we'll talk about in the community corner, um, going on. So I I didn't get quite enough plays of it, but I'm excited. I've been following this game for a while. I think the premise is uh, ridiculously fun and I am, uh, I'm all here for it. 
I'll be honest with you, not when you said boyfriend dungeon, not what I thought it was when you got the nope. description. In fact, that joke <laughs> is right in the beginning of the Good. uh that joke is right in the beginning of the game where um one of the characters tells you like, oh, like the in thing to do in this town is to go to dungeons. And then there's like this bizarre look. And he's like, no, no, not sex dungeons. Like, so Aww. that joke is already, already a dealt with. I feel, I, I feel, I feel betrayed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there are different games for that. Um, anyway, let's roll over to announcements before we hit the feature segment. Um, I would like to, uh, I'm going to add one that's not on here, but I'm going to start with Jim still likes games. Uh, Jim likes games, um, who is part of our Slack community. Uh, and Jim is just amazing. Um, he is, um, an avid slash rabid gamer, um, playing all sorts of stuff, um, and, um, selling all sorts of stuff works, I believe, for IPR. Uh, super knowledgeable, um, about gaming, about gaming industry and all that. Uh, Jim has got a newsletter, um, that you can subscribe to. And uh, you can go, uh, we've got the link for it, but it's like jimlikesgamesubstack.com. And you can go like, just put your email address in. And then like, when Jim writes a thing, you'll get an email with uh, with the article. Cool. So, so I definitely signed up for that. Uh, the other one I just wanted to bring up um, really quick is um, uh, Breakfast for Pancakes. Yeah. Um, PK Sullivan has a second uh, video up on uh, making bread pudding. Uh, that was actually uh, pretty enjoyable. I actually, I, uh, I actually enjoyed that one quite a bit, um, and definitely would have had some of that bread pudding. Like hmm. I like bread pudding to begin with, but uh, that particular recipe was uh, interesting, and I definitely would have <clears throat> taken a run at it. So, uh, nice job once again, PK. Nice. I have never personally been a fan of bread pudding. I am very, very particular about pudding. Um, when someone says the word pudding, I have a vision in my head, and it's like Jello pudding, like it's smooth. It's creamy and like anything that's got chunks or, or texture in it other than yeah. like, nah, like rice pudding, <laughs> bread pudding, bread, no, bread, bread, no, bread. tapioca, no. Oh, I love, I love rice pudding. I love tapioca pudding. It's, yeah. I, I see bread pudding as more of like a really soggy, like muffin more than a pudding. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I, I kind of, it, it, it reminds me a lot of like when you, when you soak a pancake in, 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 uh, I was gonna say too much syrup. There's no such thing. Because when you soak a pancake in syrup, <laughs> yeah. it's that kind of consistency to me. Um, yeah. I've had good ones. I've had bad ones. If it's, uh, if it's, I'm sure his is gonna be good. But if I know that if it's bad for me, the texture combined yeah. with uh, the wrong flavors just makes it taste a little gooey. But his looks amazing, and I would love to try it. Uh, and uh, and he gave us a preview of I think what is what's his third one that he's doing today, or is that? We'll talk about it, but he's, he, he, uh, if you're a member of the Slack room, you can see him talking about the next show that's coming up. Yep. So uh, that's all I'll say without just spoiling it for him. And once right. again, um, you should go to YouTube tasty and subscribe. Hell. Yes, you should. His stuff looks tasty as hell, though. Yes. Uh, our last announcement, um, there is a Kickstarter going on right now for Get Bit, which is a family-friendly fun game from Dave Chalker, uh, where you are swimmers and you're trying to avoid getting bitten by the shark. Um, and it's, it's adorable, it's fun, it's fast. Um, and this is a, an updated version, a remastered classic, as the uh, Kickstarter page says. Um, mm-hmm. And it's got an expansion now with some new mechanics added in. And you can add a player playing the shark, which is super exciting to me. <laughs> Sit down and try and eat your friends at the table. So uh, the only kicker is, kicker, get it? 
pun intended. Um, it's only a 16-day Kickstarter. So if you're hearing this on the podcast drop, seven days are already gone. So you've only got nine left if you want to get on it. It's super reasonably priced. It's like 24 bucks for the full boat um, with the, the original game and the expansions. Um, so, you know, go check it out. It's a great little game, great for families. Um, throw this down on the table and, uh, and, and have a lot of fun. I've had, you know, I've had a copy of it in my, um, in my gaming kit for many, many years. Yep. It's a, uh, an easy one to, uh, take to cons. Uh, it's a great one to play with, uh, younger players, uh-huh. like, um, kids, kids, um, kids love the morbid, um, uh, yeah. theme of the game of like eating limbs off of swimmers trying to run away from yep. a shark. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. All I like, I like everything about this game. Yeah. Like I, it, it's, it's easily like in my like personal hall of fame of board games. Like yep. I like this game a lot. Yeah. Good times. All right. So that'll do it for the announcement. I just did the thing where I clapped. And, I clapped there. Rob, feel Rob better. Is, Rob is going to stab me with a fork right in the eye. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. I have this thing that I didn't realize I was doing. I don't know if anybody watching the show or listening to the show caught on, but apparently at a lot of the breaks and junctures between segments, I clap. And I've been trying to fight it. (laughs) And I don't know why I do it. But anyhow. It's interesting. I don't think I knew that. But now that you've said it, it'll be impossible for me not to know. "Ah." Is the problem or... It's just weird. Why? Why is there a clap there? There doesn't need to be a clap there. It's just, you know, it's it's just weird. Yeah, it's part of being you. So, yeah, well, I don't like it. I'm gonna excise it. I'm gonna cut it out with a knife. Okay, <clears throat> this is our workshop, which means I'm gonna play this thing because we like it. Ready, Phil? Workshop, workshop. It's the adversary files. We're gonna teach you about our new adversary tonight. It's the fanatics. They believe, they believe so much that they'll do anything to get it done. And that's the big problem. Welcome to the workshop. Don't suck. Don't suck. All right. Well, we're back with another entry to our adversary file. Uh, we haven't done one of these in a few months and thought it was time we had a new entry. So tonight we're gonna take a look at the fanatic. We're gonna talk about what they are, how they work, and how you can get the most of them in your game. All right. And of course, to get started, we need to define the fanatic. So, Phil, let's do this one. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, let's get started with the defi- with the dictionary definition of fanatic. Uh, a person filled with excessive and single-minded zeal, especially for an extreme religious or political cause. Let's pull this apart a little and unpack this definition. Excessive and single-minded zeal, right? This means the fanatic does not just believe in something. It means that every fiber of their being is committed to whatever it is they believe. They are not capable of moderate actions, right? Like they're not going to get involved in a letter writing campaign, right? (laughs) Think extreme. All right, extreme religious or political cause. The fanatic believes in some sort of ideology, which we'll define really quick as a system of ideas and ideals, especially one which forms the basis of economic or political theory and policy. So the fanatic has some sort of ideology, something that they believe in. Um, Even if the belief is personal, again, they don't do anything moderate. So 
their personal belief will get transformed into an ideology because it's they're just not capable of doing anything in moderation, right? So in Jerry's opening, right, the death of Martha, which, you know, was, you know, we can attribute to some form of capitalism or something like that. Um, the um, the Count Merlot's solution for it is to, like, wipe out free will, mm-hmm. right? Like, just, you know, has a personal, has a personal, you know, issue that then becomes like a full ideology, right? This ideology that free will leads to greed, that, you know, greed leads to excess, and that um, all of that fuels capitalism, and then that's how Martha dies. Okay. Next up, let's define the word radical, uh, advocating or based on thorough or complete political or social change, representing or supporting an extreme or progressive section of a political party. Um, these are people who believe in an ideology and want to create change. Radicalization then is the act of making someone into or someone choosing to become a radical, usually because they've been exposed to an ideology that strongly appeals to them. So let's talk about some fanatics that might be familiar to you from games and media. Uh, The first would be Skynet from the Terminator series, uh, Magneto from Marvel Comics, depending on the different Marvel comic, uh, Killmonger from the Black Panther movie, uh, Cybeck from Star Trek Five. God, it's so I can't, awful. Can't believe I, you put that on there. I I couldn't help <laughs> myself. It's so bad. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. The Maquis from Star Trek, uh, the various Next Generation DS9 and Voyager. Uh, Carly Morgenthau from the recent Falcon and Winter Soldier series. Um, Saw Guerrera from Rogue One. Um, and if you play Eberron, both the Lord of Blades and the Emerald Claw are both different uh, types of fanatical. Uh, adversaries you're going to encounter in the game. All right. So with those terms set, let's take a closer look at the fanatic as an RPG adversary. Jerry, lead us through what makes a fanatic tick. All right. Well, first of all, the fanatic is going to be all about their ideology and their commitment to it and what they're willing to do as part of that ideology. So here are going to be a few things that best define a fanatic. Right. So like you said, Jerry, they have an ideology. Um, And this is probably the most important thing you need to know about the fanatic when you're um, creating one of these or when you like get one in a published adventure and you need to kind of like get in their head. Right. You need to find out their ideology. Right. They're going to believe in something. And again, it's going to be radical. Right. It's no moderation here. Um, Whatever it is, it's big and it's sweeping. Um, And if you're making a fanatic right, you need to kind of define this up front. Right. You, because it's going to drive and shape the rest of this character. And we're going to talk more about that when we get into advice for running um, for running fanatics. What's the next one, Jer? Well, they're going to have a goal. And this is going to be uh, something that's going to revolve around the idea that a world would be a better place if my ideology was in place. Um, it's not going to be something moderate. They're not interested in a 30 percent reduction in carbon emissions, but they want to do something severe, like ending all use of fossil fuels on Earth. Uh, with extreme prejudice. Yeah, exactly. Um, They have means to achieve that goal, right? Having a radical ideology is good, but you have to be able to do something about it, right? So the fanatic needs some kind of means to accomplish their goal, right? So they could be a genius. They might have superpowers. Um, They might have money, which is its own superpower, Um, uh, or followers, or some combination of these things, right? So they could have some sort of superpower plus some money and followers. Like, whatever it is, um, they're not just like 
angrily, you know, posting one star reviews on corporate sites, right? Like they have a like they have a way to get this shit done. Now next, they're going to have some sort of radicals to help. Um, there's a chance your fanatic fanatic could just be a loner, but normally they're going to have followers or minions who can be radicalized to their cause. Now, not all their followers have to be radicals. Some could just be mercenaries who are paid. Um, a good example of this would be Hydra in the various uh, Marvel Comics universe, where some of them believe, believe strongly in the Red Skull's nihilistic uh, view, and some of them are just in it for a paycheck. Like, who is it? Bob, Agent of Hydra, I think is one of the characters that does that. Hydra Bob. Um, Hydra Bob. So um, you can see both sides of it. Um, and then your know, radicals are going to be an extension of the fanatic. Um, they're also the ones that are committed to the ideology and willing, in most cases, to carry out the steps to achieve the goal. So they're going to be the ones that are out there doing a lot of the dirty work for the fanatic themselves. Um, and also, thereby, the one that the players are most likely to encounter early on. Yeah. Um, their actions, that is, the, the uh, fanatic's actions, are extreme. Right. As we said before, nothing about the fanatic is moderate. So whatever their goals are, it's extreme. How they're going to achieve it is going to be through equally extreme means. Think big. Excellent. So now that we know what makes up the fanatic, what makes the fanatic an interesting adversary, Phil? Yeah, I think the fanatic is both intriguing and terrifying. Um, So on one hand, I think there's an appeal to someone who has such immense strength to their convictions. Um, you know, to believe in something and to take great action towards it like that, like those are ro- like those can be somewhat romantic um, notions, right? Like to I will move mountains, you know, for my lost love, those kinds of things. Um, and sometimes like those initial goals, like when you hear what the like ca- kind of the catalyst is for the fanatic, like it can be sympathetic, like in, you know, Jerry's op- opening, you know, while we have, you know, our tongue in while we tongue in cheek, those openings a bit. Um, like losing, you know, your true love, right. Is, you know, like there's, there's a bit of pang of romance that like this guy's, you know, uh, lost his love and is, you know, going to take revenge upon, you know, what he sees as, you know, who did, you know, who did her wrong. Um, so sometimes we look wistfully, um, at those people who are idealists, right. People who are willing to die for the cause. On the other hand, the fanatic is absolutely terrifying, because they'll, oh, I'm sorry, Jerry. Tell me why they're terrifying. It's okay. Because they're terrifying because they'll do anything to achieve their goal. Uh, they're going to break any rule, break any law, um, basically break every moral code because their belief is stronger than anything else they see in front of them. They don't care about collateral damage. Um, they're going to consider any unintended consequences to be minuscule compared to achieving their goal. They might blow up an office building just to take out a single board meeting. Not a problem. Thing is, we live in a society that's protected by more convention and ethics than we do by actual physical security. So think in real life how easy it would be to break into somebody's house. However, even though that's easy to do, 90% or more people don't actually do that. I, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so the fanatic's not going to care about convention or ethics. They'll take all those little tricks. Um, there's a, a running joke I used to hear from people all the time that gamers walk into every bank and think about how they would plan their heist to pull it off. Right. Um, none, of, none of us actually do it. But we think about it, we see all the weaknesses there, and hopefully they're not really weaknesses. But uh, the same thing happens in your fanatic. They're just going to take that action. Um, they're going to attack that person that just walks on the street. They're going to blow up that building. They're going to take that person hostage. They're going to level an entire uh, city block just to get back at the one person they need to have out of their way. That's going to be the fanatic. 
And worse, their ideology is giving them their own set of conventions and ethics that they use for justification. Um, and a great example of this is Dr. Doom from the Marvel comics, who still thinks to himself that the world would just be a wonderful place if everybody just let him rule the thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's and hard. It is, yeah. It's hard to pin down whether Doom is a fanatic or just a mastermind. Early Doom, I think, was a fanatic. I don't know about him now. I have no idea. But 80s Doom definitely believed that the world would be a better place if he was in charge. And as a matter of fact, if you look at things like Triumph and Torment, where he brings Doctor Strange to Latveria and shows him, like, look, you know, yes, we don't have free press, but everybody's fed and everybody loves me here. I mean, I go out on the street and people run up to see me and little girls give me give me flowers because they know that I'm just the best thing for them. And he believes that. And, yeah, so okay. do his and so do his followers. The people that follow Doom, a lot of them follow him because they believe in his cause, not because they're terrified of him. some of them are. Um, but uh, but I, I I can't speak for, for modern, and I'm not putting it out as, I don't know what Doom is like today. But I know that back in the 80s and 90s when I was reading comics, Doom was definitely a fanatic um, and tried to convince people that his way of life was just going to be the thing to do. So, What about anyway. a fanatical mastermind? I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, look, that's, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like the, um, we did say, right. A fanatic has to have the means to do this. Right. So um, in the case of doom, right. He is actually also a mastermind, right. Cause he's brilliant. Um, okay. The, um, the fanatic is never a, the bad guy in their own eyes, right. They believe that they are the misunderstood hero of the story or that in the end, uh, people will figure out that they were right all along, right? Like, even if they're thought to be wrong now, when, you know, my master plan is hatched and whatever happens, you'll all thank me later. Yeah. Right. Um, they believe, like, they, they're totally committed to their ideology, right? And that their ideology is exactly the right thing to do, um, which puts the world against them. And, and this is part of what makes them a terrifying opponent. Right. Because as Sun Tzu said, right, do not press a desperate foe too hard. When a foe is cornered, they must fight for their lives and will do so with the energy of final fear. If you force them to go down in a blaze of glory, they will do so, taking more of your troops than you might otherwise expend. This is what makes the panic so terrifying. They're always cornered. In their own mind, their ideologies back them up against the wall. And so they're expecting they could fail at any time because everybody's against them. Uh, there's a little bit of paranoia built into the fanatic at all times. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah so it's starting to look pretty clear that the fanatic is going to make a good adversary. Clearly. What kind of advice do we have for getting the most out of them? Jerry? Well, first of all, the fanatic's going to be a great adversary themselves. The extreme ideology is going to have them do all sorts of things that heroes are going to want to oppose. Uh, murder, death, um, destruction, uh, robbery, that sort of thing, all of that are things that they give characters a reason to, to oppose them in the first place. So the first thing you do, though, is figure out what their ideology is. Everything about the finances is spring from this. What do they believe? Why do they believe it? And what do they need to make it manifest? Yeah, bit of a warning here. Um, ideologies that are like, so if you're making one of these characters, right? Um, ideologies that are based on real world religions or real world political beliefs um, run a very high risk of being um, insensitive and harmful in your game, right? So unless you are a knowledgeable scholar in these areas, 
and know how to approach these topics with respect and care, um, you are better off just making up an ideology based on something completely not religion or politics um, in your, uh, what you call it, like in the real world. Like there, we got, we got some ideas where you could go. So here are some safer areas. First of all, you can pick the environment. Our fanatic just wants to stop global warming. Um, or you have technology. Perhaps the fanatic sees the internet as a great evil. Or the flip side, the fanatic sees technology as the next step of evolution and wants everybody to leave their bodies and download a new computer. Um, those could both be a technological fanatic. Um, now, you might have a fanatic who's involved with aliens or other dimensional beings. So your typical fanatic that's pledged their devotion to Cthulhu and believes that the great old one will reward them when they come there. Um, and lastly, you can have corporations. Um, you can have a fanatic who thinks that the fast food industry is killing people and that all corporations have to be brought down to keep people alive. I just thought of another fanatic um, from Doctor Strange, the um, uh, bad guy in Doctor Strange. Yeah, he's absolutely a, a fanatic, right? He's pledged his, he's, you know, he's pledged his... Um, uh, devotion to Dormammu. Yep. Still um, my, still my one of my favorite lines in the in the MCU. Dormammu. Uh, Count. Uh, Count. Uh, what's his name? Baron. What's his name? The, the, the villain. Thank you, Mordo. Mordo also is a fanatic. Yes. Yes. He, Mordo becomes um, radicalized during Doctor Strange. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like yep. he like has a complete crisis of faith after he finds out about the ancient one and just skips off like, Ooh. yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Back to topic at hand. Once you understand the ide ideology, right? So once you've come up with your ideology, you need to think of a big goal, right? The goal is big, no measured steps. Um, the only caveat to measured steps is if the uh, fanatic is testing something out, right? So sometimes this is a good way to get um, players brought in like, um, ultimately the, um, right. Ultimately the fanatic wants to do something like blow up a building. Um, but they start by blowing up like a bus or a, um, storage container, like something like they, like they need to test it out. Right. Like that might be the only time you find out if there's like measured steps cause they can't afford to have their big plan fail. So they might have to do a test run somewhere, Yep. but again, no measured steps, right. Think totally black and white. Right. Like no, no gray, no compromises, nothing. Once you have that goal in mind, um, think of ways that they can advance the goal. Right. Like some of the ones like the really cliche ones, um, you know, have to do with things like, um, uh, you know, ultimately you want to like, let's say our fanatic wants to stop global warming by destroying all fossil fuels. Right. So, you know, we can build up to that. Right. So we can have some smaller attacks, oil platforms, the docks where tankers come in. And then um, maybe he like steals some stuff, right? Like components that are going to lead to his bigger goal. Um, like, you know, maybe he's got a, he's coming up with a chemical formula that um, uh, changes uh, oil into an inert substance, right? And his plan, like his ultimate goal at the end is going to be to take this substance and inject it in like, you know, into the substrata of the Middle East, thus rendering like all oil inert. What's like, the... Sorry, I'm just saying like, like this is like, like think big goal, right? Like big, big goal. One of the, one of the Batman stories that took place in the future. And I cannot remember. It was in one of the annuals. I know is the one where 
Superman this after uh, uh, after Intercrime sets uh, sets off a nuke in Metropolis and kills Lois. Superman just decides that there's not going to be any more nuclear nukes available on Earth. It yeah. just goes around and destroys anybody who uses them, and becomes goes from being a, a hero to being a fanatical enemy for Batman after that. So isn't that also um, part of the plot of Superman three or something four? Could be, could be. Where he collects all the nukes. I don't think I've actually seen Superman four. Yeah, I don't I've remember. Seen I've heard it was best to avoid after it. two. It kind of just drops off dramatically. Yeah, yeah, yes. Solar Man, Superman three. No, that was Superman four. Superman three was uh, the villain was um, uh, oh god, Robert Urich and uh, uh, Richard Pryor. Robert so, Urich. Uh, yeah, was he the villain in Superman three? Wasn't he the one? No. Not Robert Urich. Who's uh, uh, Robert Vaughn? Robert, Robert Vaughn. Vaughn. Okay. Sorry, thank I'm you. Like, Robert, Robert Urich. <laughs> he was never in a <laughs> Superman. Movie. It's Superman four. Superman four. The quest, quest for, for peace. peace. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. was Solar Man. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, Superman three is the one where um, the Ellingson worm um, completes its run and steals all the money. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that that that's they were not good. They were not good. It's the same. I'm it's still, the same tr- I'm, still, I'm, still, I'm still upset that Man of Steel did not use Neil before Zod, but that's another story entirely. Um, so <laughs> the important thing is the fanatic just has to have a complicated story arc. It's going to basically go something like this, at least as a framework. First, the fanatic makes an attack or an attempted attack. And then the characters are going to discover or learn of the ideology of the fanatic. And the characters have to do, determine the next objective that the fanatic's going to be going after. And then they confront the fanatic or their minions. And then either the fanatic's successful or not their objective. And then there's finally a confrontation at the end where either the fanatic gets away uh, to pursue their ideology, the fanatic gets captured and has to escape, the fanatic is killed. Or the PCs screw up majorly and the fanatic succeeds. Then you have the aftermath of what happens if the fanatic succeeds. That could be its own little campaign. Sure. sure. Uh, if you want your fanatic to be a one-shot, have them be ready to die for their convictions. Oh. Right? Remember, they're always cornered in their own mind. So glory, going baby. out in a blaze of glory is totally in character for these guys. Yep. But if you want them to be a recurring adversary, then you have to allow them to escape or be captured. Um, now, they can always use a radicalized lieutenant for the encounter, allowing the fanatic to keep going. Um, so the story arc, the fanatic, someone of the mastermind, is going to use their radicals to carry out the early attacks, so they don't just get taken out in the first encounter. I let you build up to the uh, to the big reveal of of who the uh, who the fanatic is, too. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, you you know, um, I mean, in Iron Man one, right, the Ten Rings. Yeah. Right, and then like what we find out is like like in Iron Man three, right? We think it's the Ten Rings, only to find out that like. It, it isn't right. It's yeah. it's just a you know it's, it's just another asshole capitalist. Yeah, it's just a, right? another like asshole capitalist with a chip on his shoulder. It's it's aim. They're aim in that one. Well, it is it is aim, but it's just once again asshole love, capitalist. Though. Yeah, not the aim. We Until they give me beekeepers. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's I like agree. it's like Scooby Doo, right? Like they pin it on the the foreign terrorist, and then when they pull back the like when they pull yeah. the mask off, they're like, "Oh no, it was just an asshole capitalist." It the was whole old time. man Jenkins oh. all along. By the yes. way, I saw I saw a news release that apparently uh, uh, Ben Kingsley is in uh, the new Shang Chi. Oh well, that's fantastic. That's so, hilarious. Wow. Uh, so I, okay. I'm excited to see that. Yes. So all right. I have to imagine that the fanatic is not so one-dimensional that they can't be an ally. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, absolutely, right? Um, look at Saw Gerrera from Star Wars, right? Like, absolutely can be an ally. Um, the key 
for a fanatic that is an ally is that um, the fanatic has to believe in something that aligns with what the characters do in the game. It doesn't have to align perfectly, right? There can be, there can be some differences. Um, but again, one person's terrorist, right, is another person's freedom fighter. Yep. Right. Not to be too flippant about that, but like, look at Saw Gerrera, right? Like to the empire, Saw Gerrera is like this, you know, absolute radical to the, even to the rebels, even to the rebellion, the rebellion's like, oh, Saw Gerrera guy, like, but he's, but he's like useful, right? So they, they can't write him off. They're like, oh, like, guess we might need him, right? Um, but he does some thing. pretty, pretty horrible things in Rogue One. Exactly. Right. But then they're also like, mm, but, but he kind of does what we need him to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So, so that's going to be the key for your fanatic as an ally is getting the belief structure lined up. Now the fanatic can be a strong ally because if the characters are doing something in alignment with the fanatic's beliefs, the fanatic's going to be all too happy to help. Right. Um, and because they often, because as we said early on, they have means uh, it means that um, the fanatic will be able to provide things like resources, uh, intelligence, items, those kinds of things. Like, oh, like you need to know the patrol patterns for, you know, this Imperial base. Yeah. Saw's people know all about it. Like they've been making hit and runs on that place all the time. They know all the guard rotations. And if, you know, Saw's in the right mood, probably going to share that info with you. Yeah. Um, and so then... Um, but the, so the thing is, the fanatic also has an agenda, and because characters are capable, um, and you know characters that move things forward in the world, um, you may have to um, trade with the fanatic, right? So yeah. maybe um, you need to show up with some money or some supplies, um, or you may need to go do them a favor, right? I.e., side quest, right? Like, oh, I can give you the, you know. I can give you those, like, I can give you those guard patrols, but uh, one of my guys got captured and is about to get, you know, taken off planet on a transport. You know, can you help me out? Yep. That's exactly going to be, and that could be a, a fun little adventure that takes off against different adversaries. Mm-hmm. Now, the place where you create some stress for the characters is when they're not as radical as the fanatic, or they've done something, they're doing something that goes against the fanatic's beliefs. Remember, fanatics are extremists. If you do anything to fail to support them, or worse, do something to hinder them. Now the support's going to dry up, and they may may need to do something else to show their commitment to appease the fanatic, or he's going to suddenly turn against them. Yeah. Again, one person's freedom fighter, another person's terrorist. Yep. Yep. All right. Cool. Cool. That is our look, our overview of the fanatic. We are going to take a break, check in with the chat room, answer any questions they may have. But first, Bob, tell us about another show on the Mister Mark Network. Yeah, so we've got a show called Bonus Experience, and it's a fun little show. Ray and Monica are two old friends who explore gameplay and design through the lens of diversity while also sharing some of the dumbest humor that gaming has to offer. Bonus Experience, kids. Go check them out. All right, so I know we had a couple of mentions in the uh, in the chat room with, uh, um, so the Joker from DC, not a fanatic. But there's some question about Bane. Yeah, what was what is Bane's fanaticism? I thought he was just like a crime boss who was big on breaking Batman's back. Uh no, no. In the in the movie, in the movie, he's got like a. Um, oh in movie, yeah! In, in the yeah. movie, he's got. I, I, so I think in the um, I think the movie version of him. Yeah. Um, 
he's, you know, then he's definitely, um, he's definitely either a fanatic or a radical, right? Like, because he, he's all there to, you know, I'm going to free, I'm going to open the prisons and I'm going to set you guys free from oppression. And, um, you know, like the normal people, like, you know, we're going to go back, you know, we're going to have a new order of things. Yeah. I, I, I'll be honest. I keep forgetting that that was Bane. I don't think of that as Bane. It's a great character, but I don't think of that as Bane. That that is a really good point. That's why I apologize. You're right. That yeah. is actually the entire League of Shadows are fanatics across the board. Oh, totally. Rachel Ghoul all the way on down. Yeah. So the only thing I remember good. about Bane from that movie is you couldn't understand a word he said. But we're warm to it. Oh no, I love I love that. I can understand. I love that voice. Like, I love okay. Tom Hardy in almost anything he does. So. Yeah, it's Tom Hardy. Like I'm all, uh, what's yeah. called? You know, I'm all, I'm all good I love, for Tom. I also love Bane Cat. I'm just gonna say that if you haven't seen Bane Cat, look it up on the internet. Bane Cat's hilarious. Uh, so. I guess uh, somebody's gonna have to look that up, but I, I'm not yeah. gonna be Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, I think I think Bane from the Nolan movies is is definitely a. Um, is definitely a fanatic. Um, I think that um, the Joker actually, I think is a um, characterization we have not done yet, which would be um, uh, the terms. I, I don't have a better term for it. So it's somewhat gendered, but the madman, I also probably think it's probably the like least sensitive, like we'll probably need to do a little work on what the best term is, but yeah, but the Joker's insane. Like, and the thing about um, the thing about the, so the thing about the insanity, like, that kind of villain, which shares some of the things from the fanatic is um, that um, that like, I'm just going to say Joker, but we're going to mean all of those kind of villains. Like they also don't adhere to social norms, right? They also are incapable of understanding or incapable of caring about collateral damage, um, things like that. Like, they, like we're looking at the Joker, Hannibal Lecter, right? Like the mm-hmm. sociopaths, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, would, like, I, I would put the Joker and Hannibal Lecter in two totally different categories. Hannibal Lecter very much cares about collateral damage. He only hurts people that are that are directly opposing him, and that's it. That, that's uh, the whole. That, that's the whole point of the books. That's the reason why. That's the reason why he ends up with Starling, and why she ends up. Spoiler alert for a book that was, That's why she goes off with him. Is that if you look at him, the only people he ever goes after are people who are either other evil people or people that attempt to keep him from doing what he's doing. Or people that actually abuse him. He doesn't go after innocents who are just. Well, I mean, like, he, by, so, he doesn't go after bystanders at all. So he and, has an ideology, but like, it, but it doesn't take much to wind up on the "you opposed me" list, right? Like the guys who guarded him in, you know, Silence of the Lambs. Like he like beat them and ate, like you know, like cut their faces off and stuff like that with little to no yeah. problem. They left. They, they, well, that's because they left part of it out of the, in, in the book. And even if you watch the movie, they don't treat him well. They don't treat him with respect. Sure. There's like, a, I, I would. I would. I'm just saying. I don't think he's a fanatic. I think he's much more of a mastermind. Well, I. Because, I, I think because, he's a mastermind, but I also yeah. think he's a sociopath. He's a sociopath. That's true. But I don't think yes. he's a fanatic. I don't. But think I, he's a fanatic. No, no. I don't think he's a fanatic either. Right. Oh, I don't okay. Think he has, oh, okay. But I was talking about characters cons- like. I was talking about characters like the Joker. Like Lecter, like characters whose um, socio characters. right yeah. characters whose mental composition allows them um, yes. access to great evil. Yeah, right. Because because that that's is different. different. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and that's like different from like that's different from Doom, right? Like it's um, I'm trying to think who's a good Marvel version of that. Um, Sociopath. I mean, Sabretooth is pretty. 
pool killer. What's that? Pool killer from the uh, Jessica Jones. I mean, if you're if you're talking about a uh, uh, um, insanity, oh, and, Green Goblin, and lack of regard for for anything. Uh, what about like a like a uh, Cletus Cassidy uh, 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 Carnage? Like he'll, Carnage, he'll uh, kill Green whoever, Goblin, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Green Goblin is like the stereo is, is another one. Um, yeah. yeah, I think Green Goblin. I think, I think Carnage. I see more of just being a psychopath more than a sociopath. He's just, again. He's just, yeah, I think there's he's, that... he's all he's he's all he's all rage and 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 death and and is really doesn't at least again I'm talking 80s 90s comics didn't really have a plan it was just kind of go out and kill as many people as possible and try to look as rad about doing it as possible. There's there's a bucket I don't have the right term for it yet. Yeah. There is a bucket of um, your mental illness mm-hmm. is the fuel for you being the villain, right? Yes. Um, yeah, that's, I don't, that's going to be a I, very, very thin line to walk for a show. I, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm cautious about it, but yeah. there's definitely a, um, there is definitely a, um, a grouping, yeah. which is where I would firmly yeah. put the Joker, right? The Joker, I think, is yeah. one of the um, iconic versions of that. And, you know, depending on which Joker, yeah. um, it gets worse and worse, right? Like the Frank Miller Joker is, you know, um, Oh, apocalypse! Like Ryan put it, apocalypse. As a fanatic, uh, I'm not sure what he what, what puts. I definitely. would put apocalypse as a fanatic. He's fanatic. got an ideology. Yes, he does. Yeah. He's actually not far from Magneto. Yeah, there's some similarities there. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. We should probably jump into part two then. Sure, sure. Very good. All right. Good so, as we return to the topic of fanatics, we're going to do our roundtable which is going to be a little shorter. It's not quite as round. Maybe kind of an oval, <laughs> oval table. No, that would be maybe a triangle. No, not even a triangle. In any event, question number one. <laughs> what is your favorite fanatic, either from media, one that you've GM'd, or one that you've encountered when playing? All right, I'm going to leave the best one for Phil, who's Magneto. Okay. But uh, um, in gaming, I think I'd say like the Lord of Blades in Eberron. Um, Eberron is designed so that uh, Keith Baker made it so that he didn't nail anything down really hard because he wanted GMs to be able to uh, make it their own and not break canon. So depending on your Eberron campaign, the Warforged um, are anywhere from a group of um, basically sentient golems who are in a bad situation uh, all the way up to some games play out where they have a really horrible life of near slavery and constant prejudice. Um, but basically the Warforged are, are never in a great position in Eberron. And the Lord of Blades, who is a very powerful warforged living out in the wastelands, wants to end all that. Um, except that his answer seems to be anything he can do to kill off all the other races to achieve freedom for his people. And that's what makes him terrifying. He is willing to wipe out entire towns. He's willing to um, kidnap and torture people to make them do what he wants. Um, depending on what, what exactly is going on, he has different motivations. And this is compounded by the fact that depending on what you choose for the Lord of Blades, he's either a powerful warforged or he's the he's the spirit of one of the last artificers trapped inside of a, a metal body. There's a bunch of things, but at the end of the day, he wants freedom for his people and will do anything possible to achieve that, including sacrificing his own people. Um, he'd rather have them dead than serving the fleshy ones. Yeah. Um, in media... Um, I think my favorite media one outside of Meg would probably be JD from Heathers. Um, hmm. He had a statement to make. He had an ideology. And his 
that movie is all about how his means just keep escalating and escalating until he wanted to blow up the entire school. Um, and uh, he was a fanatic who um, really believes that what he's doing is for the betterment of the world. Um, and uh, of course, at the end, it doesn't go that well for him. But uh, I always liked it. I liked him as a character. Uh, to me, he's the most fascinating character in that movie. But uh, not that there aren't other really fascinating characters in that movie. But uh, interesting way to do that's Christian Slater's character of those of you who only seen Heather's once or twice. So um, those are my two choices. Phil. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at the um, at the chat room who uh, mentioned the Gem Hadar. Mm-hmm. So the Gem Hadar absolutely oh, yeah. fanatics, right? Yes. Like. Um, their their devotion to the founders is you know unwavering in fact even where the vorta are um where the vorta are you know uh, a bit hit and miss the jemhadar are like um staunch right yes. like i love that one where they go on the mission with the starfleet people and right at the end the jemhadar just kills the vorta yep yeah <laughs> he's just like you, you know he's no good just yeah. waste them and then they're like we'll literally just wait for the rest like we'll wait for a pickup um and if i remember correctly that was link from the mod squad it was yes yeah who played that who played that Gemadar? anyway yes. um so um favorite fanatic right jerry mentioned it um out of in media it's magneto um i've always loved magneto uh-huh. um when i started reading the x-men in the 80s uh i actually had a like <laughs> I, I for a long time was like, well, I see his point, right? Like yeah. Magneto was never a full bad guy to me. Magneto was like, well, you 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 sent the sub after him, like, so yes, he crushed it like a tin can and put it on the bottom of the sea. Like you should have known, <laughs> like. So I and then um at, like when we get into the movies and things like that, like I've um. Uh, which called, I just I I have a, a strong love for Magneto in almost all forms. I love him in um, I love him in the original X Men movies. I love him in the um, First Class Fastbender. Like I love Fastbender's Magneto, um, and he is absolutely a fanatic, right? Like um, he's a fanatic on several fronts, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I um, I think Magneto is fantastic, and I, I did see a Twitter thing that went by the other day that was like. Um, as time goes on, I start to agree more and more with Magneto's politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. That, that's the thing is that the best fanatic you make is the one that your, 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 your players can sympathize with. I mean, yep. look at the number of people that looked at Killmonger and said, you know, he's got a point. He's just using the wrong methods to achieve it kind of thing. There's yeah. a lot of people who liked Killmonger a lot. And oh, I, th- I mean, MCU yeah. Killmonger is fantastic. Like, yes. I love that character, right? Um, yeah, and, and which is why when he di- like when he dies at the end, like you feel bad. Like it's not like oh, like when um, Obadiah um, Stain dies at the end of Iron Man one, and you're like, yeah. you know, woohoo, light him up. Like yeah. Yeah. when <laughs> when Killmonger dies, like you feel for him, and so yep. does Black Panther, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah there's nothing. Yeah, it's yeah. um, yeah, it's a very different. Um, and again, we you know that's the thing that we said at uh, earlier in the segment about. Um, you know, there's a thing about feeling, um, there's this mixed feelings about sometimes you are terrified by the fanatic and sometimes you are, um, you, you know, you have sympathy. Um, okay. So I, I, I do love Magneto. Um, 
in many different forms, um, all the way up to when he was, you know, leading the X-Men during a stretch of the 80s. Um, in gaming, one of my favorite fanatics are the Greys from Conspiracy X. Um, you wind up, you don't know anything about them in the core book. And then when the supplement comes out, um, you find out that um, the reason they even came to Earth was that humans create this um, psychic static that is killing their planet. And um, their solution is just like wipe out humanity. Like humans, are, like humans are basically like humans are basically killing us. We have no choice. Um, we're just going to wipe out humanity, not research solutions to see if we can make a defense against this psychic, you know, stuff or whatever, or what we, what we can do with humans, but like, just, we got to get rid of them. So um, in my, in my campaign that I ran um, back in the late nineties, uh, we did a whole arc during the course of a summer. I think Bob will remember this oh, yeah. the summer of the grays um, where the grays were, um, it ultimately led to the grays were trying to create an extinction level event on earth by pulling a comet yep. um, psychically pulling a comet onto like to hit earth. Um, yep. And uh, before that, they were trying to release a grain blight to wipe out all food production in the U S um, they had a couple of other things along the way, but they were like, they were dedicated to wiping out humanity. Like they yeah. weren't there for any other um, uh, for any other reason. Um, so, um, I, I liked them. Like I, I mm. liked them because I thought that was, you know, like they were going to go big or go home. Right. So like mm. when the players figure out like, oh, they've built this telekinetic lens and these lenses are like made of coral and it's the size of an Island. And it's here because it's going to pull a passing comet out of orbit and steer it at the earth. It's like, oh, we're on like, yeah. this is going to be, you know, big battle. This is the big, you know, um, it was the climax of that campaign for the summer. Uh, all of that. Good like time. it was a lot of, Good it was a lot of fun. That, that, that's the, that's the plot from shadow in the sky from a pathfinder. Hmm. The, the dark elves want to, the dark elves want to drop a comet on the elven homelands. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's awesome. I, I always love those extinction events. I thought of one more real quick, uh, fanatical group, which would be in, uh, if anybody here plays war machine or iron kingdoms, the elves of that world are fanatical about trying to subtly kill off all spellcasters because, their goddess is slowly dying because she's the goddess of magic. And every time humans cast spells, it kills her off a little bit more. So all the elves are secretly trying to wipe out all the human spellcasters who are kind of the core of the game. Um, because if they don't, eventually their goddess will die. Interesting. Yeah. It's a good, it makes for a very interesting alliance between humans and elves in the game. So, And that's part of the fun. They should always be interesting, not just adversaries. So. Yes. All right. So question number two. What yes. do you think is the biggest challenge in running or going against a fanatic? Yeah, I think for me it is uh chasing the curve. Right? So when we when we talked about early in the in the previous segment, we talked about coming up with really big um plans, right? Like big big plans. If you are um if you're going to have a reoccurring fanatic, right? You're going to have this fanatic come back over and over. Um you know, you wind up getting into this chasing the curve thing, right? We've talked about this before where you keep trying to top yourself. So, you know, you know, I'm going to inject this stuff and, uh, uh, you know, render all oil inert, right? Like that's huge. Like where do you go next if the players stop that? Right. Um, so I, I do think that, um, I do think that like chasing the curve is a real challenge with these guys because, 
uh, you you have to think like if this is going to be a reoccurring fanatic, you probably want to you still need to go big, but you're going to want to leave yourself some wiggle room for your next like for their next iteration. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, if not, you're going to wind up, you know, you, you wind up again and chasing the curve, right? You wind up with this problem where um, you either back yourself into a place where you like literally can't think of something bigger um, or you get silly. Right. So, um, you know, or they run out of like room, you know, they run out of ideas. So it's like, well, I guess the only way to save the earth is to kill everybody. Out of it. Right. But after that, you can just basically do that every time. Yeah. And now it gets like a bit boring because like anytime you catch this guy, it's like, well, he's definitely going to try to extinct humanity again. But how? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, chasing the curve is a tough one for reoccurring for um, for reoccurring fanatics. If they're a one shot fanatic. Oh man, shoot the moon, right? Like just like literally. Shoot yeah, the literally shoot um, the moon. <laughs> yeah, just like whatever you want. Because if they're not coming back or they're going out in a blaze of glory, like by all means, like whatever ridiculous, like whatever big pie in the sky idea you have, uh, go for it. Um, because you don't have to worry about what what's yep. gonna come next. Right. Uh, how about you, Jer? Uh for me, it's keeping the shadows long enough it doesn't have to keep getting away. Um I want to make sure that I get them revealed early enough that they get interested in it, but um, keep them far enough out of reach that the players don't have to constantly like have to get them as he gets an escape route. Because my experience, at least both as a player and as a GM, is that a lot of players don't like having the bad guy escape over and over again. They want that level of achievement. Oh, and, totally. And, and, if you, and if you have them constantly getting away, um, it gets to the point where they get frustrated. Yeah, what's the point of going after this guy if you're only going to let him get away again? Yep. So trying to keep in the shadows long, long enough to make that happen. Um, and, and that's where sub lieutenants and such that's, uh, you know, in a modern game, the easiest thing to do is kind of have him show up on like a monitor while they're dealing with the sub lieutenant. So they know who it is, but that but they're already well out of reach and they have to deal with them later on. You, um, you you definitely are a guy who's played a lot of Savage Worlds, right? Like I got to keep this guy out of I got to keep this guy out of the players' crosshairs. Yep. The, the 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 Ripper the Rippers the Rippers plot point campaign has a villain who always shows up well out of the players' reach, and to the point where we we're just like, well, fuck it, we're not going to really deal with him because you know that whatever you're you get to the point where you're like, whatever we're doing, he's off doing something else, and we're going to win the battle and lose the war every time, you know? Yes. We, yes, we stopped the Louvre from burning down, but he still freed a demon from someplace else in the city. I'm like, you know what? I would have burnt the Louvre down just to stop this demon. You know, that's more important, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that kind of thing comes up. So when that happens over and over again, oh, there he is again. And he casts some spell that we can't stop. and gets away. You're like, yeah, you know, there he is again. Yeah, don't worry about it. He's going to get away. anyway. We're not going to bother. And we came close to that a couple of times. It's like, Oh, there he is. We're not going to chase him. We're not going to catch him anyway. So we're not going to waste our time and, and resources on it. You know, um, when that happens, that becomes a reprint. So you want to make sure that you keep them out of their reach early on. Um, and we've talked about this before with what to do with recurring villains and um, you know, making sure that they're either not showing up too often or whatever, but putting it that way makes a difference. So that's my biggest challenge. That's my challenge. Yep. That's my biggest challenge cool. as a player and as a GM. So. All right. All right, so question three. What is your secret sauce when it comes to fanatics? Uh, yeah, I don't know if this will come as a shock to anybody, um, mm-hmm. but I like really elaborate plots, right? That um, 
I, I don't want my um, my fanatic is not going to um, my fanatic's not going to reveal um, the ultimate goal of their plan. Um, they're going, there's going to be a series of attacks or incidents that don't look like they make sense, right? Like uh, a chemical plant gets hit and something gets stolen. Um, you know, um, the plans to, um, you know, the plans to some sort of um, mining rig or whatever gets stolen. Like there's just going to, it's going to be a little of this, a little of that, a little of this until you kind of like stitch it together and realize like, oh, uh, this guy's going to make all oil inert. Like he's going to, he's drilling a giant hole in the middle East to make all oil inert. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, what I, what I love is um, I, I love when players like put that together, right? Like yeah. when the sudden yeah. realization of the, the aha moment, Oh no, like it's like, Oh, it's bad because the fanatics running around doing stuff. But then like when you finally piece it together and you're like, Oh no, it's way worse than you thought. Um, I, like, I like that. Right. I like the, um, so that's for me, like I, you know, I like, I like to uh, really kind of work at um, what's the big goal. What are a series of like weirdly related things that will get to the big goal? Like, I think it's a fact of when I was a kid, I watched those GI Joe mini series, the cartoon mini series. I don't know if you guys remember those. They were like week long mini series. And like, they had like little things that like all rolled up into one big thing at the end. No, you guys don't remember the only one I, 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 I was, I, I, you older this folks. Is a, this know. is no, no, no. I'm not old. This, this is going to make me sound like a hipster. But by the time GI Joe came out, I'd seen enough like Star Blazers and Battle of the Planets and anime that like GI Joe was just. I'm sorry, it was stupid for me. Of like, they're shooting lasers and nobody gets killed, and so I oh, didn't watch it. So the only I one I, it. the only one I watched was GI Joe the movie, which had an amazing opening. Um, that's the one with uh, with just a man where they turned Cobra Commander to a snake. So I've heard the story. The apparently there was a Weather Dominator episode series that was like a long. Yes, yes, yes. and yeah. you had to like find all these components to put it back, like to put it together, kind of thing. Anyway, it it has always been one of the things I've done is like if there's going to be a big thing at the climax, uh, we're going to do a whole bunch of little things in between, like as our rising action. All right, that's my secret sauce. What about you, Jer? Um, coming up with the right sympathetic motive. I want my players to feel like the fanatic has a good motivation or even good intentions, but is just too willing to do anything to get there. I want them to see the fanatic as somebody who, you know, this could have been a friend of ours or an ally if things hadn't gone the wrong way and now they're pushed over the edge. Um, because that gives them a chance to um, kind of discuss what's going on and, and why and see this as somebody who's more, uh, who they're more willing to discuss and talk with and can lead to some great role-playing encounters. <laughs> when they're either talking to the fanatic or their followers. And um, oftentimes with those secrets come out that, you know, they just thought that the villain was just being villainous and they found out, no, 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 they're trying to, um, it's, it's the Mr. Freeze thing, you know, Mr. Freeze is, yes. really, try, is really trying to, to just, you know, find a way to, to save his dead, his, his, his frozen wife. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it. And anything that could, you know, and if only he had, you know, the resources and money and access to technology that would save his wife. Um, except this guy dressed like a bat keeps coming and beating up all the time. Um, yeah. If only he could find a millionaire who could give him money. Uh, anyway, um, that's exactly the thing. I mean, people sympathize with Mr. Freeze because he takes extreme actions, but he's doing it all for love. And that's yep. a great motivator. Um, 
it's always a good motivator to start out with. Sure, so, absolutely. Hey, what if uh, what if the fanatic was already an ally? What if they were on the team until his beloved Martha got killed? Oh yeah, you know, there's there's now there's a hook to keep the uh, to keep the the party involved. <laughs> oh, that that that's always fun. Um, oh yeah, that that's the like gone that. rogue. Yeah, yeah. The, uh-huh. I like that. Oh, I would totally like. I mean, that's even more. Uh, yeah. Whatchamacallit. Um, that's even more gut wrenching because yeah. now you've got, you know, um, oh, we could do that's another entry into our uh into our adversary file, the fallen hero. There we go. Oh, oh that'd man. be much easier a, to do than the Joker one. <laughs> yeah, put yeah. a pin in the fallen hero. The fallen fallen hero, hero is definitely Ding. um that is a way to go. We could totally do fallen hero as a uh as an adversary concept. Um yes. That's a good one. <clears throat> oh, I'm already brimming with ideas. I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of media characters, which is definitely a sign we should probably get out of here, right? Yeah. Oh, not at all. Good ideas are always a good place to start. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Wrap us up, Jer. Well, that was a look at the fanatic. Yep. We hope the next time you want to have your characters face off against a fanatic, that this information will be helpful. Yeah. And now we're going to go check one more time with the chat room before we head over to the conversation corner. Um, so Blake Ryan said, Mrs. Bennett, Elizabeth's mom, was she a fanatic? And I have no idea who he's talking about. Uh, uh, the Pride and Prejudice. Her whole obsession in the entire book is to get her daughters married off. Uh, okay, see, classic literature is not my bellywick. <laughs> uh, that's, I gotta say, Pride and Prejudice is a pretty decent, it's a pretty decent book. It's a lot of fun. They made a couple of really good movies out of it. There's some really interesting characters. Um, as much as I, as, as much as that's not really my my thing, I think you'd really like Pride and Prejudice, especially the one with um, Colin Firth in it. It's really well done, um, and it's funny too. Uh, so is the book. Uh, gotcha. I think Blake Ryan or somebody early on was Blake Ryan who made the comment that uh, the villains for the Die Hard movies are fanatics. Yeah. Um, um, no, no, they're not fanatics. They're pretending to be fanatics. Yes. They're just capitalists. Yes. Yeah. I right? think like that's the Hans like. That's Hans Gruber's whole shtick in the first one, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. he wants all the, you know, he gives that list. Yep. Like, I, I read it in time. 16 members right? like, of the Asian Dawn. Dawn, <laughs> right. Yep. I think the only ones that might be fanatics might be the villains in Die Hard 2. That's what I was just going to say, that they they were more more politically motivated than Be- Because uh, of what happened to them. Yeah. 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 But, but Die Hard 3... Ooh. The, the whole revenge plot is really just an excuse to get money, and he admits it. Yep. Die Hard 4, it's just a revenge plot. Die Hard 5, God only knows what the hell is going on in Die Hard 5. Uh, the general in The Rock. Yes. Yes. He's yes. A definitely a fanatic. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I like that. Yep. Although he's also a fallen hero who yes. becomes a fanatic. Yep. And then, like, wavers at the end because he, like, really can't do the, like... He can't do it, and it, it's his um, lieutenant who's yep. like hell bent on finishing. Oh man! One of his radicals yeah. takes up the mantle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. As far as you know, Die Hard Five goes, though, um, they they wanted something out of a vault deep inside Chernobyl, and I don't remember if it was money or if it was something else. It was money. It was, was it money. money. Yeah, okay. it was money. I just I don't remember. I don't remember the rest of that because that. Out of all the diehard movies, that one messes with reality the worst. Oh my god! I mean, it had the potential with the with the father son stuff, and then it's like, oh, we're just gonna suck the radiation out of the air with this vacuum. That's not how (laughs) radiation works, kids. No, 
I also think they screwed up with the father's they they broke the father-son rule that I always talk about. Like it's no fun to watch our characters bitch at their family for two and a half hours. Like that that's what I that that's that's uh, that's of all the movies, the autopsy of Jane Doe did it right, which is father and son disagree on something. They're like, Yeah, you know what? We disagree on this, but strange shit is happening. So we're just gonna drop that shit and be a family because that's what really happens. Like you know, with a lot of families, even if you and your dad disagree about your 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 career choice, when you know terrorists are trying to kill you, you stop bitching at each other and kill the terrorists. And that movie was all just let's watch John McClane fight with his. You know, it's it's the it's the Indiana Jones thing over and over again. Mm. I hate that. I hate that. I hate it. Oh, I, I mean, I love I love the two Doctor Joneses. Like I did, yeah. I did too. But that's how to do it right. Yeah. You know? The uh, the the moment when they both realize. That they've slept <laughs> with what's her name? No, that that's doing it right. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, look at Die, Die Hard Five, The Mummy Three, um, Indiana would, Jones Four. It would be uh, very hard to screw up that uh, um, between um, Harrison yeah. Ford and Sean Connery. Like, so it's still my favorite Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. It's very good stuff. Cool, cool. Roll us over. All right. Let's roll over into our conversation corner. All right. So the ongoing saga of Bob Gets Ready to Move continues. Um, The purge is escalating. I had a dumpster delivered today. Uh, It's a little dumpster, so it's only like half height. Um, uh, I forget what the tonnage is on it, but... um, there's a there's enough stuff that needs to get throw out thrown out that I figured a dumpster would be appropriate, but it doesn't need to be huge like a regular size one. So that uh, that's sitting in the driveway now, um, as I mentioned at the top, closing tomorrow on the condo, um, and then of course um, having a, a locksmith come out uh, tomorrow after work to uh, change the the door lock for me so that I can uh, have my own key with my own lock. Because you never want to keep the existing lock. You never know what kind of no, no, no. no. I did the same thing when I, I did the same thing when I moved into my yeah. house. Um, did you get yourself one of those smart locks. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to go that deep into the rabbit hole. But yeah, it's uh, this is the week of like escalating stuff because I got you know after the closing and the locks tomorrow. Um, I think I actually have some stuff being delivered tomorrow and Thursday <laughs> that I have to go and pick up. Um, Friday afternoon, the cleaner is coming out and the, the Verizon, uh, uh, guy is coming out to install Fios Saturday, my furniture, my, my living room set in my bedroom are getting, uh, delivered. Um, so like this whole week is just chock full of, of, of excitement and, and busyness. Um, and then I got to start slowly migrating shit over. Um, finished up the season two of discovery today. The season two two part finale was just glorious. Um, it was one of those like where you you hit a certain moment and you're like, oh, and then it's like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> like, yeah, but I didn't quite put it together originally. Like, oh, yep. okay, gotcha. Um, so that's all good. Um, looking forward to a new episode of What If tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was glorious. Can't wait to see the next one. Um, that, that, that show is going to, I think, hit all the right notes for me. Um, uh, I'm also uh, dying for uh, an actual release of Prodigy. Um, Star Trek Prodigy. <gasps> when when is like that? Um, fall 2021. All right. 
That's all we get so far. It's fall 2021. I'll wait. It's fine. Yeah. So, I mean, it can't be too far off because fall doesn't last forever, you know, September, October, November. Um, So we'll see. Uh, I'm hoping uh, end of September maybe, but, you know, who knows. Um, And um, we had an iHunt game on Sunday. Um, Yeah, we did. Another good uh, opportunity to sit down face-to-face with our vaxxed friends to – to play at a table, we had dinner first. We chit chatted. It was it was just like old times for the most part. Um, it was nice. Had a had a good time. It was a fun session. Um, and now starting to prep for NBA Knights Black Agents this weekend. Uh, looking forward to that. I got an interesting concept for my character. Uh, looking forward to see what everybody else comes up with and uh, getting into some weird shit because um, <laughs> Knights Black Agents is going to throw some weird shit at us. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, trying to think if there's anything else super interesting going on, and probably not because everything like my bandwidth is being taken up by house stuff. So, <laughs> what do you got, Jerry? Well, I was just kind of sitting around puttering this weekend. Um, first of all, just playing more Valheim, which we'll talk about in a second. And YouTube Premium has a bunch of movies for free, and so I just started grabbing stuff at random. So, I watched Men in Tights again, which is uh, oh boy. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, just just a goofy movie. Um, just fun. get ready. Yeah, it's not great, but it's it's not great. Um, I mean, it's better than the Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie, and it's more of a Robin Hood movie than the Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie. It's not great, but it's funny, and I like Bell Brooks movies. Um, you have to take them uh, with a grain of salt. I understand that there's some pretty offensive stuff in there that I really wish they wouldn't get out, but it's fun. Um, and then I watched the Ice Road, which is the Liam Neeson Ice Road trucker movie, which if you like Liam Neeson movies, it is a very much by the book action movie. It kind of hits all the tropes. There's no big surprises in it, but it's kind of fun and has some neat things in it. Um, if you like watching Liam Neeson be a tough guy, and this time you want to see him be a tough guy driver in the snow, it's cool. Um, this Friday, uh, Glenn uh, started running uh, Vason for us, which is another free league game. It's the first time I've played a free league game as a campaign. Um, I've played a couple of games on and off of Tales from the Loop. This uses a similar system. This is uh, basically Victorian Monster Hunters, where you're all also kind of a, have the ability to see things. It remind, The setting reminds me a lot of a Victorian version of the Troll Hunter movie, um, that basically there are these things out there. And part of it is, in Vason, you're not really trying to kill the monsters, you're just trying to stop them. And so you're, it's less about shoot the monster in the face, and it's more like, okay, this is the ghost of a dead child that's terrorizing the household. So we have to find the body, bury it, consecrate it, and then help take revenge on the person that killed them in the first place. And that's what's going to stop the ghost, not just shooting the ghost in the face. And so it's going to lead to some really good stuff. And everybody has a secret, which we as players have discussed, but our characters don't know, and the secrets are pretty amazing. So we're going to have a lot of uh, a, a lot of drama and role-playing and uh, probably some messy romances and everything else involved. So it's going to be a good game. That Troll pretty free league to me. <laughs> yep. Troll Hunter movie was way better than it should have been. Yes, and don't and, and I'll tell you the trailer makes it look campy. It's not campy. It is mm-hmm. one of the it's one of the movies that genuinely set up a scary mood during the movie, especially the, the cave scene. It's one of the few like, like tense, quote unquote but, found footage type films. Like it, it the film it's a the Troll Hunter itself isn't found footage, but like the the premise is that these people are going around and they're filming shit. But they're documentary they're filmmakers. documentary filmmakers, and and yeah. they, you know, like it's a, it's more believable than the Blair Witch. Yeah, 
I love the Blair Witch. Don't speak ill of that. I love it too, but I hate that one. Sorry. The fucking end of that movie is like my favorite thing. It was like that's, that's the only part of the movie I like is yeah, the rest of that movie. I was so angry with those people. I'm like, I was oh, freaked yeah. out and I was like look, it it follows every I don't want to get into it, but it follows every trope of a oh, good cool. of a good horror movie, right? Like it's people making bad decision upon bad decision right and then yep. like doubling down on that and then it just ends with like a punch in the face i was like so thrilled with it like i loved it plus i loved I, the idea of pretending like it was real like yeah that shit met like i i liked all the um hype leading up to it same reason i like the um writing in um houses of the blooded where oh. when you first start reading it you're like wait is this a thing like is is this a real thing like that is one of oh, my no, wait, favorite things about that that game <laughs> Is John yeah. Wick wrote that so believable that you you feel like that this whole culture exists? I yeah, love you're like, book. wait, this is like I went back and reread it. I'm like, wait, this this doesn't sound right. Like I've never heard of this before. Yeah, <laughs> like somewhere some gamer would have said something about this. So what is I'm, I'm not familiar with that. What is House of the Blooded? Oh, it's um, it's this very interesting little um like anti D and D game where you play nobles, but it takes place in this, what is it like pre Atlantis or in between Atlantis? I forget where, like you're made to believe that like they were some ancient civilization. Yeah. Um, But it's just the way it's the Ven, right? I think the that's Ven, the name yeah. of the, cool. the Ven and yeah. they're, they're fabulous. Um, through all the things that we've discovered through archaeological means and, yeah. and research and stuff, like their culture was like this, and they were very into, you know, color and like if you wore red, it was for this reason, and it was oh, colors are very specific in the game. You know, the, yeah. like there's this whole like just brilliant. Oh, written. okay. In the Ven language, the the difference between the word love and the word. Uh, vengeance yes. is one inflection. Yeah, like well, okay, I've heard somebody yeah. talk about that recently. Yeah. Sorry, it's like my cat. It's it. it's a it's a very um, interesting game, and it was yeah. Wick designed it specifically to be like kind of an anti D anD D. It was like a fantasy game where you played nobles, and yeah. it was about um, political okay. maneuvering and less like you, you didn't really like you didn't go dungeon crawling, and nope. you did like um like you had like a little um tiny fiefdom that you built up you talked and, about this on pandas that's where i've heard this you talked about some yes. pandas a couple weeks ago yes. yeah okay and there's a, a little mini game inside it about resource management during the seasons like i always yeah. wanted to just peel that out and make a mini mini game a board game of, of all of oh that. you totally yeah you totally could just play it as a but it also had a um sister game um blood and honor which was uh john wick's um samurai version yep like samurai game based on the houses of the blooded rule which I also really liked because um, that was actually a pretty um, yeah that, that was, was actually a pretty interesting game. That was a good one. Right, hey, where were things, we? We were, we were on Basin. So the last two, uh, first of all, Lower Decks premiered this week, and yes. uh, probably my second favorite Trek of all times. Uh, I just I love that. Uh, I love the fact that if you take the humor out of Lower Decks, it is still really good Trek. Yeah, like the the stories are good, the logic behind them. You know, uh, as much as it pokes fun at all of the tropes of Star Trek, it also obeys all of them. And that's the fun of it. Yep. Is um, And lastly, we had the Bad Batch finale this week. Oh, man. Very good. Very tense. Um, man, I love the fact that because of the time period and the characters, anybody is expendable in this show. You don't know who's going to survive from episode to episode. Yep. And they've had some characters die in this series that I did not expect to die. And they've had some characters survive that I thought for sure were dead mid-episode. 
And uh, they kept it interesting. They've done a really good job yeah. of, of doing it. Uh, as I've said before, they've really done a good job of making the, the whatever she is, 10, 12 year old, whatever the character is, um, not super annoying. Like she's, she's a kid. She acts like a kid. She makes bad kid decisions, but she's not the annoying kid. She's not Anakin. She's not that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I mean, they're following the Star Wars premise, which is have a bunch of badasses inject small child involved, you know, or small child or cute robot or whatever in go from there. Um, or small child and cute robot. Yes. Oh, yeah. They got Gonky. I love Gonky the Gonky. And Easy. Um, easy is cool. Oh, God. Easy was just, oh, yes. Uh, and they do a lot with it. I mean, this is this is good. This is good. Just, it's, it's good Star Wars. And uh, I like it a lot. Um, and uh, the characters are all growing on me. And uh, get some interesting reveals in the last two episodes sure. about one of the major adversaries that is just uh, interesting and also a little chilling. So just yep. well done. So that was me. Phil? Uh, yeah, I got some overlaps with you guys. Uh, what If was phenomenal. Um, I totally yeah. loved it. Um, I have a crush on uh, Captain Carter. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Captain Carter could pick cool. me up anytime she likes. Great um, episode. Yep. It was, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, Lower Decks was great. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, it, it, I, I don't know how people don't think that, that the show is, I've seen people argue about this on Twitter, on Twitter, how Lower Decks isn't a love letter to everything Star Trek. Yeah. Like it is, ap- it is 100% a love letter to everything Star Trek. Um, and the episode was just phenomenal. Like, yes. um, the, uh, Gary Mitchell reference. Yep. <laughs> Was I love, so good. I um, love my job. Right, and how it escalates is yes. uh, is just great. Um, I binged a whole bunch of Discovery um, mm-hmm. over the week. I, I I I pushed through. I think most of season two through the course of the week. Um, I really like Discovery a lot. First of all, once again, Star Trek fanboys who are like, you know, Discovery's too woke. Like it's too political. Like I don't know where you are. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. like, I, I'm not sure what Star Trek you're watching. It's clearly none of the Star Treks that have ever been made. Exactly. But in any case, um, what I like about Discovery is that where TNG, DS9, and, um, and Voyager are made with TV money, um, Disco was made with streaming money. Yeah. Um, and a streaming mentality in mind. So, um, unlike the other shows, it each season is 15, 14, depends on the season, episodes of one story, start to finish, soup yep. to nuts. And they're great stories, but they're also different. Season yeah. one disco is I'm not that there is an overlap and not that there aren't consequences for the things that happen in season one, but season two starts with a completely new story. Yep. Um, I was talking to Senda about this. I'm not going to give anything away, but I was talking to Senda about this um this morning and she's like she's like oh i'm glad you're enjoying discovery she's like i just wish they would stop making um star trek shows in the past and rather go like into the future and i'm like well about that yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like well i don't want to give anything away um yeah. but, but i also by, by not um, giving anything away i think we've given something away right yeah. but also season two is um season two is the launch vehicle for strange new worlds yes um which oh Daddy Pike. Like Captain first of all, Captain Pike, my heart. Um, but also Spock and number one and yep. the bridge of that ship. Yep. Um, it's phenomenal. Yep. And I'm 
excited as hell when that takes off. And talk um, about love letters. When they have scenes on the Enterprise, like classic bridge noises. The oh, dings I know. And the whoops yes. and, the, and the door whooshes yep. and all of that stuff. It just like throws me back to the 60s. Oh, yeah. So, the, the, I so, mean, so when I get to the Enterprise, it's going to remind me more of the old, the old show. I know it's still discovery, but don't worry when we get to strange new worlds, I think it'll remind you very much of that. Yeah. Um, but it's okay. Like, um, it's really okay. Yeah. Like it's, it's just, you gotta love you. Like you gotta love them for what they are. Right. Like this is, this is star Trek told in the streaming age. Yes. And, um, and well, (laughs) like it is complicated characters. And I love that. I love complicated characters. The characters are there. I don't think there's a dud in any of the characters tons of great relationship drama of varying types of relationships friendships and romances and 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 power dynamics and uh yeah i'm with you Um, ryan the 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 kelvin trilogy i enjoyed the hell out of it i like the kelvin trilogy for what it is until the last movie right like like i'll I'll be i'll be honest up to episode eight i still think that discovery fits more in with the Kelvin verse that it does the TOS right now. I haven't seen anything that, that that makes me think. When I see Discovery, I think I because the sleek ships, the 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 funky Klingons, the redesign of all the stuff, the fact that all the ships are spiky like the Romulans, and all the constant lens flares um, don't make it a bad series, but definitely reminds me more of the Kelvin verse than. Uh, nothing that I've seen so far reminds me of the original series yet. Well, again, uh, well, I understand I, it's going to change. But. I, again, we're talking about series that were made like thirty years apart. Yeah, right. Like, want, like movie, you, movie making, graphic design, I'm starship talking, design. I mean, like they all, like all of that, like all the stuff that's happening in disco yeah. is in vogue for today. Right. The yes. reason it doesn't disco looks to be like disco looks to Voyager or Voyager looks to disco the way the old series looked to Voyager. Like they're like, you can, com- you can compare across them, yeah. but they are, um, but they are absolutely products of oh, current it's, it's, cinematography. Oh, it's, like, oh, it's, it's, it's definitely Trek. I'm just saying it reminds me more like the way the the way they shoot the scenes, the, the way they're directed and especially the lens flares yeah. are, are really like there are lens flares and obscure details on the ship. Right. That remind me of that's why I said it just my, right my, now right, right now reminds me of the Kelvin verse more than right. because because it's closer to the Kelvin movies than it is to any other oh, Star that. Trek. Of course, yeah. no, I understand. So, that. like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah. they're contemporaries. Like, yes. like, like TNG looks like Voyager. Yeah, because they're contemporaries. This disco looks like the Kelvin universe for the same reasons. And and I'll be honest when I. First saw both the Kelvin movies and Disco. I, I resisted a little because I was like, "Well, it doesn't look like insert whatever." Yeah. yeah. And now I'm like, I don't give a fuck because if I had yeah. the means, the money, and the technology yeah. to make a bridge now, I sure as shit wouldn't make the old the TOS yeah. Enterprise yeah. bridge. Yeah. I would make you what Roddenberry would have loved to have made uh, Rodden- the Roddenberry TOS bridge. Yeah. And I will say, Jerry, um, yeah. to the best of my recollection from season one of Discovery, the only Starfleet ships that you get to see in season one of Discovery are the Discovery yeah. and yeah, 
and maybe one other ship. Yeah, which doesn't. Oh, the, I, the Shenzhou. The Shenzhou. And the Shenzhou yeah. looks a lot like some of the the um, the other not standard configuration class ships, yep. Yep. more like a Miranda yeah. type or whatever. Yep. But yeah. that looks like a, a Star Trek ship. Discovery is an experimental prototype. Oh, and I understand that. So Johnny, obviously I, that I, one, they yeah. make it yeah. look whatever. No. But yeah. when you get to the season finale of season one, Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, the Enterprise, because we've already mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. But when the Enterprise comes on screen, you're going to go, oh, that's a Constitution-class vessel. Yes. Yeah. But I'm looking, I talk about things like even on all of on Voyager and on, the, on all of the ships that we saw in TOS, like the transporter room still looked like your TOS transporter room with the six or seven little, little dots arranged in a circle kind of thing. And on uh, Discovery... It's a line against the wall. Um, uh, they actually make a reference to that, right? So okay. the Shen yeah. the Shenzhou has the Shenzhou has um, what is it? Um, Standard configuration. No, they make a reference that the Shenzhou has the um, linear ones, and that Disco upgraded them. Um, but or yeah, like vice versa. Used like, be, yeah. they yeah. used to be linear, and now they're in the process of going through all the ships and reconfiguring them to the vertical you know, I, style. Like I, said, I haven't gotten to that. that that's, that's, it's, it's not like, oh my God, it's bad. I'm just saying when I look at this show, nothing about this show yet screams TOS or TNG. And everything about this show screams uh, Kelvinverse to me. Yeah, um, and again, what I, what I will say to that is um, I, I would think less of Voyager as individual episodes and think, I'm sorry, not Voyager. I would think less of Disco as individual episodes as a yeah. story. Yeah. As stories, and think of it as a um, fifteen-hour movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that, that's what I'm saying. It's but it's, it's the directorial choices, the camera angles, the the way things. Just said it's just it's, it's that design, and I know we're getting past that eventually. But that that's how I look at. It. But and I, we're but, not getting. I don't think but, we get past that. Like I, I was I was told we're getting real Klingon ships eventually. I mean, the show moves in the direction it's supposed to time-wise, but. Like, I mean, the D7, you you will see the D7 um, battle cruiser at some point in season yeah, that, two that, without giving it. That, that, that's but what I mean. That's it looks no less. It looks no less like um, season one in cinematography and stuff like. Yeah. Oh, you know, I know. I, I, I know that that, that I'm. I'm yeah. yeah. Like, and, and, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's a, it does a different look. Yeah. Oh, it's totally yeah. a different look. Right. And it's yeah. just I just. It's I, I, I it's hard to compare it to a thirty year old like yeah. what is it twenty or thirty year old TV series. This is basically like yeah. what if yeah. the original Star Trek was made on today's budget? This is what yes. we would have had it look like. Yeah. And that's yeah. what Strange New Worlds will yes. be, right? Yeah. Strange New Worlds when it launches will oh, be yeah. very much what if you could make Star Trek with real money and yeah. technology, <laughs> and and, you, and, and, and you will love you, it. The thing that everybody else seemed to really not like about it that I was ready to not like was the the spore drive. And I'm like, no, they did a good job explaining that. Oh, I'm no, no. Once, I'm the happy with the drive. great. I was yeah, fine. I mean, it, yeah, seemed, it sounds weird when people try to explain it to you. And then yeah. when you watch, like, once you get through enough episodes, you're like, this thing's cool. And also, I see why we're never going to have this. Like, <laughs> And actually, by the end of season two, you find out a whole bunch of reasons why, um, like, none of this. Like, yeah. like I'm still, people, like, mushroom spores in space, really? Like, like. The mycelial network. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, go on. I, I, um, I, I just bought into it. I'm like, yeah, it's there. Yeah. That's it. That's it. We're All right. good. We yeah. bogged down in the discovery thing, yeah, but whatever. It's a good, it's a good discussion. Uh, we played I Hunt, um, which was excellent. I still, um, I love the hell out of this game. Um, it's just, it's messy and it's complicated. And um, 
it has uh real world stuff as well as just you know um monsters and stuff yep tony's character is yep. having some problems um he's not dealing well with the uh, murdering of the wizard uh who he looks entirely a too monster. human <laughs> yes still a monster definitely a monster and definitely not a good guy but tony's character is having some um which tony brought on himself right which i yeah. love things things i love about tony in a game but tony's having trouble dealing um with it and is um fucking things up like fucked up um like fucked up an encounter with his like one of his good friends and um is acting peculiar with you guys like it's great yep um i've been working on reading through knights black agents um it's not a small book i'm working pretty hard at it um i am more than um covered for getting through session zero in fact i did all my session zero prep um i got my cats things filled out and um everything i need for doing character creation and we're going to do backstory cards to do um a shared history um with all the characters because i really like um backstory cards i think it was at glenn's suggestion and i was like it's a great suggestion we're totally doing it uh also i finished building my retro pie um retro pie is my retro pie is fantastic um my daughter and i played it like basically all weekend hmm. um played all sorts of things um most notable i played some hydro thunder on the dreamcast uh and also played a whole bunch of uh soul caliber um forgot how much i liked soul caliber um plays great on my big ass tv with uh running off the retro pie um played some other arcade games sadly my um xbox controller and is not a good controller for tempest nope um it's way too um it's way too fast like you can't play tempest i was very sad um i love tempest a whole bunch but you really need that slow analog dial yep to do it justice when you hit the like little hat thing on the uh xbox it just like like zips around you need one of the classic paddles from the old pong game Mm. Mm. yes from the pong not the 2600 because the 2600 paddle um stops yeah oh you need the one that just you need the analog one that just goes round and round would a rollerball work would a rollerball work uh absolutely track well i don't know if trackball would work for uh tempest but you absolutely Mm. can if you have a trackball peripheral um, can hook it up to the retro pie. So if you want to play uh, centipede, um, you can totally play it with the this like with the full trackball as it's meant to be played, yes. right? Like um, to properly enjoy centipede, one must you know uh, be hitting the trackball yeah. around. But it's um, it's delightfully fun. Um, I mean, it does remind me that like <laughs> it does remind me that a lot of '80s arcade games aren't that much fun. Um, but there are some real gems um, in there that you can find. Plus, I think this thing has ports of um, Wolfenstein 3D and Doom. So mm-hmm. you can, like, if you want to go... Pl- oh, and Duke Nukem. Um, also, what ride. I did not... Also, what I did not realize about... I think it's the Dreamcast. No, no, I'm sorry. About the NES. There are so many licensed crossover games for that. Like, like everybody was getting, a, a like, a uh, an NES game made. Like... There's just so many like NES games about movies and whatever. Like it's it's pretty comical actually. Um, and you know, then they all look like Contra on some level, right? <laughs> You're just side scrolling, running, shooting stuff. I did play some Excite Bike on the NES, which um, I always enjoyed. Um, and then I played it for a little while, and I'm like, yeah, I used to love this game. I'm like, 
Um, I did play the um, the NES wrestling game, uh, which was pretty fun, actually. Um, I had it when I was a kid, and uh, it's kind of ridiculous. And as soon as I have some patience to sit down and do it, I'm going to uh, take a full run at playing um, uh, the original Zelda. Hmm because uh that game's great um but i also have to go look up how to find everything again because um there's no way um there's no way at 49 i remember uh where all those dungeons are and what bush you got to light on fire to find the flute and all that stuff um (laughs) so um so i definitely um i definitely am going to sit down and do it one afternoon but anyway the retro pie totally cool uh i am actually very thrilled that i went with a um pre-built image um the uh i could have hand rolled the stuff myself but the pre-built image is so good with uh loading screens and all the uh game info already loaded on it and all the tweaks to all the emulators like um it was uh what you call it, it was t- t- totally good totally good stuff <sighs> i think that's me i think that's me we should we should roll through the patrons and then we can roll out of here all right so let us thank the following Jim Fitzpatrick, Joseph Peralta, Carl Hilperin, Michael Dinos, Michael Draper, My Brett, not My Brett, someone's Brett, Ninjabi, The Rainmaker, Richard Ruane, and Rory McLeod. And thanks to everyone for listening tonight. Indeed, indeed. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, you're welcome. Come join us live on Twitch. Where you can chat with the other awesome listeners in the chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. And if you can't make a live show, check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts. Pick us some of the other shows in the Strike Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bone Sword Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Hannah's Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, John Who Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing gaming and bs after your fanatic has declared what they're going to do to make the world a better place and before they hit the giant red button to enact their plan leave us some feedback you can reach us directly via the old-fashioned email mmp at misdirectedmark.com hit us up on twitter the show and the network is at misdirectedmark he's robert m everson he's gm gerrymander and i am dna phil if you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. <clears throat> Misdirected Mark, Mastering Dungeons, and Panda Stocking Games are all at patreon.com slash MMP. Django Hustle is at patreon.com slash Django Hustle, and Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Panda Stocking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. Yeah.